But James chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, the Word of God says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And together, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And let's pray. Father, amazing scriptures uh, that we read. We could spend many, many weeks in them just studying them out. But tonight, the message that you've uh, laid upon us is one that is uh, so important, and it's something that affects our lives every day. I pray that you'd give us true understanding this evening. I have no words or understanding to communicate this truth to your people on my own. Uh, I'm frail, and the arm of flesh will fail. But Lord, we lean on you tonight. I pray you'd give us ears to hear. Give me uh, the words you'd have me say, and then Holy Spirit of God, translate that into the hearts of the people and change us for good and for God and for eternity, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, amazing portion of scripture we read, James chapter 1, uh, and you'll notice the theme is temptation. And tonight I want to continue along the little mini-series we've been doing about sin, and I want to preach a message entitled, The Operation of Temptation. The Operation of Temptation. You will be tempted every day. You were tempted today. You were tempted yesterday, and you'll be tempted tomorrow. Temptation is an everyday part of life, in this sin-cursed world in which we live. But let me ask you a question. Do you know how temptation works? If I were to ask you, explain to me how temptation begins and every step it takes until we succumb to sin, could you do that? Do you know how to stop temptation before it becomes sin? And that's what this portion of scripture we read about is. How to understand temptation, to understand the steps that we go through from the initial temptation until we sin, and then how to stop that from happening. 
Think about the last time you were tempted. Why did it affect you so much? Why did that temptation just pull you out of your day? Or grab you late at night or in the morning or whenever it was and whatever it was about. You and the Holy Spirit can communicate about that. But think about the last time you were tempted. Why did it affect you so much? Think about the last time you gave in to temptation. I mean, honestly, the last time that you said, I sinned. And hopefully you've confessed it and forsaken it, as we talked about recently. But, but why did you give in to temptation? Why did that temptation have such power over you? And why did it end in failure? And then I want you to think about the last time you were tempted, but you were able to stave off the temptation. You were able to say no. And you walked away from that temptation saying, hey, thank God I didn't give in. All of us know the pain and sorrow and shame and guilt of giving in to temptation. It's a terrible way to live, isn't it? And all of us know the blessedness and the benefits of being able to stave off temptation and say no and walk on in righteousness and feel joy in your heart that you were able to pass that test. And tonight, the purpose of tonight's message is to teach us how temptation works and how to stop it before we actually give in to sin. The Bible gives us an incredible amount of information about sin and temptation. And James chapter 1 is the supreme scripture on temptation. You can do a word study and the study of the doctrine of temptation all throughout the scriptures. But if you want to look at a, passion, a passage of scripture that gives you the most amount in one place about how temptation works, when, where, why, how, it's James chapter 1. And tonight we're going to examine this passage to learn the five major truths about how temptation works and how to stop it. Now, let's be honest. I could spend a long time in the verses we read. I mean, a long time. I mean, service after service after service. But I'm going to follow the Lord tonight. If we get so far and He wants me to cut it off and we pick it up later, that's fine. If He wants me to get through all of it tonight, that's fine. I'll just try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But let's dive into these five major truths about temptation as we discuss the operation of temptation. Number one, we see the subjection of temptation. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So the word endure here doesn't just mean to go through temptation, but it means to go through temptation victoriously. We were tempted and we came out the other side of temptation without giving in to sin. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Why? For when he is tried or tested, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The Bible says clearly that blessed is the man that overcomes temptation. Happiness and prosperity are the spoils of victory. When you come through that temptation and you're like, wow, praise God. I made it. I didn't give in to that. Matter of fact, there's an awful lot of benefits of temptation that we won't go through. But just to give you one illustration, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted 40 days of the devil. And after he came through that temptation, he endured that temptation victoriously. He was given new and fresh power. And so power is one of the blessings of enduring temptation. 
Wisdom is one of the blessings of enduring temptation. Joy, one of the blessings of enduring uh, temptation. And so the, the blessedness of overcoming temptation is clear. But so is the torment of defeat, pain, sorrow, guilt, shame are the torment of defeat. You know, Satan will work so hard to get you to sin. He'll lie, steal, cheat, play dirty, every trick in the book to get you to sin. And then as soon as you sin, he'll turn around and beat you with it. How could you sin? I thought you were a Christian. You don't love God. Look at you, you hypocrite. He works so hard to get you to sin, and then he beats you to death with it. And we talked recently about the cleansing that comes from, from confessing and forsaking your sin, not just the forgiveness, thank God, but the cleansing that comes through that in 1 John 1.9. So the, the, the torment of defeat is real. And let me tell you, you can be beat up for days over the sin that you've committed. And it takes a while sometimes for your heart to heal. We see Psalm 51, the process David went through. And I encourage you that whenever you uh, are defeated by temptation and you surrender to that sin, not only do you make it right with God by confessing your sin, forsaking it, but go to Psalm 51 and pray through that and follow David. And you'll notice the very things he prays for are the things that we need. Create a clean heart in me, restore the joy of my salvation, all of those things that sin steals. But the blessedness of overcoming temptation includes an eternal reward called the crown of life. I like that. There's five crowns in the New Testament. The Bible says in in the book of Revelation that God will give us crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ will give us crowns, and then as a way to worship Him in eternity, we will in turn give those crowns back to Him. We will cast those crowns back at His feet. Those are crowns we earn through uh, following Christ and obeying God. We won't go through the five of them tonight, but one of them is the crown of life. This is for those who endure temptation. You're tempted, you're tested, you're tried. Sin is knocking at your door, and you say no. The Bible says there's a crown of life. But then notice how God phrases this There's a crown of life which the Lord promised to them that what? Love Him. Remember that God receives receives love in the form of obedience. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So really when we say no to sin, it's an act of love to God. We are saying, God, I love you more than I love this sin. I love you more than I love myself, and I want to fulfill that lust. You are first. And Jesus says, you love me that much, I'm going to give you a reward for that, an eternal reward. And so we have the ability to subject temptation to the will of God. Temptation comes to each and every one of us, but we don't have to sin. We've learned that in Romans chapter 6. We're no longer the slaves of sin, that through the uh, finished work of Jesus Christ, the bondage of of sin. We've been delivered from that. The cords have been cut. The chains have been broken. We don't have to sin. Sometimes it'll feel like we have to because the temptation is so strong and vigorous, but we never have to sin. It's always a choice. So we can choose to subject temptation to the will of God, 
or we can choose to subject ourselves to temptation. Every committed Christian must become a student of self and temptation. I need to know how temptation works, and then I need to know what the triggers are in my life. Each one of you have weaknesses. You might succumb to a temptation that doesn't have any power over your neighbor. But Satan knows where your weak spots are. He knows what what you desire, and he knows how to get your attention. And so every committed Christian must study themselves to know what my weak points and what my triggers are, and then to study temptation so I can see it taking place in my life. And then we should know our weaknesses and how to defeat the seduction of sin. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. So the word divers just means different or various. Knowing this is the trying of your faith worketh patience. So there are benefits to uh, enduring temptation. But there's all kinds of temptations that you can bear. Uh, and there's, we find that most temptations arise from four primal desires. And under each one of these, we could, we could categorize temptations. Uh, but I want, as we just mentioned these four categories, I want you to think about what temptations you are weak to and under which category they fall. So most temptations arise from one of these four primal desires. Number one, passion. Passion. This includes the, 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 the passionate part of us, that part of us that can be incited and excited Uh, It includes emotions such as desire or lust, fear, hope, grief, love, hatred. But, But it's a temptation that is attached to that part of us that wakes us up, that gets us excited. The second is power. This includes the desire for status and station. You want to be somebody. I want to be famous. I want to be popular. I want to be a, a CEO. I want to tell people what to do. I want people to look up to me. I want to be in control, this temptation says. Now, for some of you, that's, man, that has no part in me. I mean, that part of you is dead. But for others, yeah, you'd do just about anything to be popular. You'd do just about anything to be given more power or station, or status. We've got to be careful of that. Isn't that what Satan tried to tempt Jesus with? If you bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. How many people have fallen for that line? The third primal desire that births temptation is possessions. This is the covetous desire for the things of this world. I want the money, the possessions, the nice house, the multiple cars, the big garage, the, the more land, the toys, the camper, the, the RV, the, 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 the boats, the yachts, the helicopters. I mean, man, that's, that's rich. That, that's, that's what gets you going. And I know people that would stab you in the back and walk away from your bleeding body if they could get these things. The last that we'll talk about tonight is pleasure as far as these primal desires. 
This is the desire for satisfaction, entertainment, relaxation, enjoyment, thrill. Passion, power, possessions, and pleasure. Every temptation you'll face will fall in at least one and sometimes multiple of these categories. Now let me make a distinction here. Being tempted is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Being tempted is not the sin. Partaking in the temptation, surrendering to temptation, is the sin. So we can get tempted, and we're not in sin. Temptation happens. We see it happening. And because of this message and these verses in the Bible, you'll see it coming. You'll begin to feel what it's doing in you. And you should be able to, at any given moment, say, I am in this step of the process of temptation. And you better stop before you get to a certain step or sin is guaranteed, the Scripture says. But God has given us the tools to conquer all forms of temptation. And I'm just encouraging you tonight... Decide tonight that you're going to be a spiritual warrior. Decide tonight that you're going to engage in the good fight of faith over the flesh. I don't want to sin. I don't want to give in to temptation. I want to live like Jesus. And the first step to overcoming sin is deciding that that's what you want. Ask God for strength to endure temptation and overcome it for His glory. We said, number one, the subjection of temptation. Number two, the inception of temptation. Look at verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. Now here's a problem about human nature. When we get tempted, we want someone to blame. How many of you ever heard someone say, the devil made me do it, right? I, I know, but the devil made me do it. The Bible doesn't address that. It goes the step further, and this is the most heinous accusation of sin, that basically God made me sin. God put the temptation in my life knowing that I would sin, basically saying, you know, honestly, it's God's fault. If God hadn't put this temptation in my way, I wouldn't have done this. And we learned recently that the way that you get out from under the guilt and shame of sin is to confess it and forsake it. When you take the blame, God takes the guilt. But as long as you're trying to shovel off the the blame, the guilt and shame remains. And so uh, we need to understand that temptation never comes from God. Now, in order, order to understand this, we must know that there are two types of temptation in the Bible. One does come from God the other does not. All right, the first type of temptation is testing under trial. Uh, it basically means a test. We learn in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Sometimes it's just a test of your faith. Sometimes it's a test of your commitment. God will allow tests and He will actually initiate tests in your life not, not to prove to Him, because He already knows what's in our heart, but ultimately to prove to us what's in our heart. 
We see this in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. And, God, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, uh, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. So God came to Abraham to tempt him. Now, this is just a test. God wanted to test Abraham to reveal unto Abraham what was already in his heart. Luke chapter 22, verse 28 says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And so sometimes a, a temptation is just a test. Other times, and the second type of temptation in the Bible, is a solicitation to evil. This isn't just a, a test. This is a seduction of sin, where someone is trying to get you to sin. Now, here's the truth. God does initiate the testings of life, of our faith, but God never solicits us to do evil. God is not trying to get you to sin. The opposite is true, in fact. God's trying to get you to live a righteous and holy life, and we can take time to look at those verses we won't for time's sake. But the solicitation to evil... Uh, is, it's an enticement to sin. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where the serpent tempted Eve. The serpent's goal was to get Eve to sin. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil's goal was to get Jesus to sin. I've had people in my life that their goal was to get me to sin. I've had co-workers where their goal was to get me to sin. There will be people in your life, whether it's a spiritual battle initiated by Satan himself, which, of course, it always is, or at a human instrument in your life, someone in your life trying to get you to sin. It's the one that offers to pay for the drink. It's the one that offers the free drug. It's the one that wants to help you by initiating some sin in your life. In our day and age, it could be technology. Do you know that you have access on this phone? You have access to every piece of wickedness this world has to offer. And you don't even have to leave your house to get it. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. It could be a program that comes on. Well, well, it's so funny. Yeah, but it's, it's wicked. Or it's got so much action. Yeah, but it's wicked. You know, but it's a great story. Yeah, but it's filled with, with uh, sex and cursing and, and heathenism and hedonism. But man, it's a good story. All those are temptations. And we in our lives have to be willing to recognize temptation and then resist temptation. God never solicits us to evil. No one can point the finger at God and say, it's God's fault I sinned. The truth is, God can't be tempted with evil. I like that. God can't sin. Jesus can't sin. Think about how the four primal desires that create temptation uh, apply to God. First of all, passion. The Bible says that God has no dark passions. He's pure and holy. Revelations 4 and 8, 4, 8, even in heaven, they cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He has no dark passions. Uh, think about the second one, power. God is all-powerful already. 
He's at the top. He's the pinnacle. He has no desire to be anything else. Revelations 1.18, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Think about possessions. Does God want anything that would be a temptation to Him? No, the Bible says in Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means the planet, the possessions, and the people all belong to God already. What about pleasure? The Bible teaches that God takes pleasure in Himself and in His creation. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. See, there's no darkness in God that's drawn to sin. God cannot be tempted with sin, and He doesn't tempt anybody else. Sin is never God's fault. Amen? So we see the subjection of sin. We have the ability to subject it to the will and power of God. To the inception of sin. Sin doesn't come from God, so where does it come from? Then we go to number three, the progression of temptation. The progression of temptation. Look at James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. So this is how sin works. I'm going to show you these progressions of temptation. But we must learn that sin starts with us. So verse 13 says sin doesn't begin with God or temptation doesn't begin with God. Temptation begins in us. Although there might be something on the outside enticing us, the real danger is within us. And for this point, we must distinguish between the source of temptation and the agent of enticement. So the the agent of enticement is the outside factor that's offering the seduction. It could be a person. It could be a, a, a TV show, a song, a a website, it could be uh, some, some satanic motivation. But this seduction taking place outside of us begins to charm us, seducing our sin nature and giving us the opportunity to sin. That's the agent of temptation. But the source of temptation is within us. The source of temptation is right here. Think about this. If we had no lust, temptation would have no power. If we had no iniquity, sin would not be attractive. And just like God cannot be tempted because there's no darkness in Him, you and I can be tempted because there's darkness within us. We are drawn to sin like moth to a light bulb at night. It is our own sin nature that gives temptation its power. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But it's one that we must consider. That's why it's so important that we learn where we're weak. 
what, what sins am I drawn to naturally? And those are the ones that I need to be most careful of because the real problem is me. And in these verses, we see the progression of sin is clearly outlined. And let me just walk through this line upon line. So number one, we see the drawing begins. Verse 14 says, but every man is tempted. So temptation doesn't start with God, but, but how does temptation work? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now the word drawn away here literally means to drag forward. And I want you to have a mental picture here of a man being kidnapped. Someone walking outside and two men come up behind him, accost him, grab him, and start dragging him towards a waiting panel van. You know, that all serial killers use. Amen? Uh, and temptation happens whenever my own lust and your own lust grabs my thoughts and grabs my vision and steals my intention and starts dragging me towards what it wants. We're drawn away. Our lust takes notice of the temptation and drags us toward it. Number two, enticement happens. So number one, drawing begins. Number two, enticement happens. Verse 14 says, but every man is drawn, excuse me, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and what? Enticed. Now the word entice means to incite or provoke. It has the idea of starting a fire. I like starting fires. I'm not a pyro or anything, but I like starting fires. You know, you build a nice fire, you get some nice kindling, you stack it just right, then you put the next stuff on, and then a little bit bigger stuff, and the big logs on top. I like starting a good fire. I don't care if it's a lighter or matches or flint and steel. But you know, the thing about starting a fire is all it takes is a little spark and time and fuel. And that fire can grow and grow. And as long as there's fuel for the fire, it will never stop. That's why we see the wildfires out in California burning hundreds of thousands of acres. And as long as there's oxygen and fuel, it will never stop until everything is consumed. And this is what we need to understand about our own lust. Our lust will never stop until it destroys us. You can never get rid of your lust or conquer your lust by giving into it. When you give into your lust, you just make it stronger next time. And so the idea of enticement is a temptation happens because I have the lust for that thing within me, my heart begins to be drawn away as my lust is yearning for that, dragging me towards it. And then enticement happens. There's a, a, a provoking in my heart. There's a small fire starting. And it, that small spark takes hold of the kindling of my sin nature. And it begins to grow and it grow. 
And the longer you focus on the temptation, the bigger the fire gets. Also, the Greek word here used for entice literally means to entrap. You get trapped. And I can't help but have the mental picture of a boa constrictor. If you've ever seen a boa constrictor kill something, it will wrap around it. And although the thing fights to get away, it's not like it's being strangled to death at first. And so it'll actually stop fighting for a minute, trying to think about what to do and process and get a plan. But every second that animal stays in the boa constrictor's coils, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And the way that works is every time an animal breathes out, it gets tighter and it gets harder to take in air the next time. And then you breathe out and the boa constrictor gets tighter and there's not enough volume to take in. So you get less air, less air, less air, less air. Until eventually it's so tight you can't breathe in at all. It's a slow suffocation. And this is what enticement does. The longer that you stay in that moment where temptation has your attention and you remain focused on it, the fire begins to wage, the coils begin to get tighter and tighter, and every second we stay in temptation is one second closer to sin. And like a Boeing constrictor, temptation slowly tightens robbing you of the will to fight off the seduction at all. So we see, number one, the drawing begins. Number two, enticement happens. Number three, lust conceives. Look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So if you stay in the presence of temptation long enough, you will sin. That's what this verse means. Lust will conceive. As long as you are entertaining the possibility of fulfilling that lust, if you stay in that moment long enough, you will sin. It's only a matter of time. And the illustration here is the idea of giving birth. Uh, the, the words uh, bringeth forth and conceived and then bringeth forth death, those are words used to describe the process of having a baby. The baby must be conceived and then the baby must be delivered and this is a striking illustration. The Bible is teaching that we are, in a sense, pregnant with sin. We have a sin nature within us. And that sin nature wants to come out. It wants to be birthed. It wants to be given life. But as long as we are surrendered to Christ and walking in the Spirit, we keep down the sin nature. Oh, but if you stay in that moment of lust, the drawing, the enticement, the lust, it's only a matter of time until you will give birth to sin. Unresisted temptation begins the birthing process. And here's the truth I want you to grasp tonight. Once temptation begins, you have a small window of grace to resist, reject, and run from the temptation. 
You have a small window of grace. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. He goes on to say that with the temptation, he'll make a way that ye may be able to bear it. So God always makes sure you don't have to sin. There's always a window of escape. There's always an off-ramp on the road to sin. But if you stay on that road too long and you pass that exit, you're going to sin. If you play with sin in your mind or entertain it in your heart, you will eventually sin with your hands. And the Bible teaches we must reject temptation immediately. Look at me. Hesitation is defeat. Hesitation is defeat. Well, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that would feel like. I wonder, oh man, I remember that. And next thing you know, you're getting drawn away. And then you're getting enticed and the fire builds. And then you think about it. And then next thing you know, you're talking yourself into it. And that's where the next progression of temptation happens. Number four, sin occurs. Once lust becomes a raging fire, you will allow it to consume you. You will consent to the sin. You'll say yes to the temptation. Not only that, you will make a way to indulge in it. You'll find a quiet spot. You'll get away from everybody else. I mean, you'll make it happen because now you're on a mission. Now that raging fire of lust is burning through your soul You have decided to do it. You're going to do it. Nobody's going to talk you out of it. You'll lie, steal, cheat, beg, borrow, but you will do it. That's a dangerous place to be. How many of you have seen people in that mode? Or they're just in sin mode. It's a dangerous place to be. When sin occurs, we excuse it away and we act upon it. And then lastly, we see death follows. Look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin are always death, aren't they? When we sin, something must die. The fleeting pleasure was yours, but the consequences are yours as well. And never forget that sin is only pleasurable for a season. But it's never worth what you have to pay later. The consequences of sin follow the pleasure. We won't take time to look at it, but you can read it later. Proverbs chapter, in Proverbs chapter 7, lust is personified as a harlot. A harlot seducing a young man. And the result of yielding is temptation and lust. Let me just read you a few verses, and I want you to think about this personification of lust. Proverbs 7, 21, With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. See, that's the seduction. That's the enticement. It'll be good. It'll be fun. Nobody will know. It's not a big deal. You've earned this. 
You've been good lately. You haven't done it in a long time. You'll just do it once and then stop. I mean, all the things, the flattering, the lies, the promises. He says, with, her, with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Here's the question. Why did he listen to her anyway? And see, that, those are the moments in temptation where temptation is trying to convince you to sin. That's when you got to resist, reject, and run. I'm not even going to listen to that. Because if you listen long enough, you'll sin. The Bible says, He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dark dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to a snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. See, we never know what sin's going to cost us. It ends by saying, For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. That's how temptation ends. So now we know where temptation comes from, not from God, but from within us, the sin within us, and an outside agent trying to get the attention of the sin. And then we're drawn away, enticed Lust, sin, and death. Let me show you this last piece here. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 16. There's an interesting verse placed in, this, in the middle of this chapter on, on temptation and righteousness. James 1, 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And then he goes right into James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so the do not err is a transition statement that goes from teaching us how temptation happens to how to stop it. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make these mistakes. And then it ends with the solution to temptation. I want to just give you quickly five ways to stop temptation just by looking at these verses. Number one, remember that God is a gracious and generous God. Isn't that what verse 17 says? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not the enemy. Remember, it said temptation doesn't come from God. Good things come from God. But Satan will work in your life to try to convince you that God's the enemy. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God is restrictive. God is tempting you. God is holding you back. No, my friend, in order to stop temptation, we must remember that no, God is gracious and generous. He's not the problem. He's the solution. Amen. Number two, realize that God saved your soul and he has your best interest at heart. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, this is God, of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God saved your soul, and he always has your best interests at heart. God is the one who's going to keep you from temptation, not try to get you into it. And the same word that saved our souls is the same word that can deliver us from sin. Next, we must recall that we control our lusts and feelings in order to live righteously. Look at verses 19 through 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, 
Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you're going to live a righteous life, you have to learn to control the lusts of your flesh. You have to get victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul said, if you don't control yourself and bring your body into subjection, you'll be a castaway. We all need a measure of victory over the sin in our life. We'll never be sinless here on earth, but we should sin less. And one way we do that, it's interesting, the way he points out is by listening and speaking. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Do you know what happens when we get in the flesh? We get swift to speak and slow to hear, don't we? Let me tell you what I think. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. You're in trouble. You're in the flesh. And then what happens? We get the wrath built up. Nothing good happens when you're mad and you're quick to let it out and you're not listening. Nothing good happens. So one of the ways that we control our body and bring our body into subjection is by being calm, quick to hear, slow to speak. James chapter 3 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So if I can control my tongue, then that is a sign that I have control over my body. All right, look at number four, remain obedient to the word of God. James chapter one, and here we have the verses about God's word. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Uh, it's talking about just the, the, the sins we don't need. There's so much in life that we don't need. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. If the word of God can save your soul, certainly it can save you from temptation. But verse 22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And let me move on to number five. If you're going to reject and resist temptation, you have to reject hypocrisy. Satan loves hypocrites. Satan doesn't care what you say as long as you're doing the wrong thing. Now, eventually, if you're doing the wrong thing, he'll get you to say the wrong thing. But when you and I allow hypocrisy into our lives, we become far more susceptible to temptation. If we allow that which is forbidden to become a secret part of our lives, temptation is far more powerful. And we learn from the scriptures that Satan loves secrets because those secrets become buttons he can push and levers he can pull to control you. It's far better to live a life of simplicity and sincerity. That's why the Bible says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Look at verse 26. If any among you seem to be religious, but bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, it's empty. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted in the world. And so this is a sign, this is the way you fight hypocrisy. I'm going to care for others, and I'm going to try to live a holy life. And this is how we fight temptation. Now, I know I've given you a lot tonight, and perhaps it'd be good for you to go back and listen to the message later. But I'm telling you, you're going to face temptation tomorrow. I mean tomorrow. 
maybe tonight. Some of you might go home tonight. And I mean, you've been in church, you've sung the hymns, but you go home and that person's there, or they call you on the phone, or they shoot you a text, or the, 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 the TV's there, or the computer's there. I mean, temptation is going to find you tonight or tomorrow. And I pray to God that because of the message this evening, we'll know how to recognize it, how to see what it's doing in us, and how to stop it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd continue to work in our hearts. Lord, forgive us for giving into temptation. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. But Lord, we, we need to live a righteous life. I know we're righteous through faith in Christ, uh, through salvation. But Lord, we need to live a practical life of righteousness every day. Continue your sanctifying work in us. Make us more like the Savior. Lord, Satan has traps planned for me and for everybody under the sound of my voice. And I just pray in the almighty name of Jesus that you deliver us from evil. Deliver us from temptation. And when we recognize it, help us to run from it, reject it, and run from it. Not linger and hesitate and wonder and consider. Oh, Lord, make us quick to reject temptation. Heads about, eyes are closed. If the Lord spoke to your heart, we take a few minutes at the end of our service for you to speak to the Lord or you to apply the truth to your lives. Maybe you've got something in your life tonight. I mean, it needs dealt with. The way you deal with it is confess it and forsake it and ask God to deliver you from it. Maybe the truth is you, you don't have anything major going on right now, but pray and ask God to deliver you from evil because Satan has traps planned for you. I guarantee you he's going to try to sideswipe you. He's going to try to sucker punch you.